as we continue not only our study in the book of Acts, but more specifically our study of the heart of the Apostle Paul as he begins to look at the last phase of his ministry in life. And as he speaks to the Ephesian elders and makes some very strong statements that we'll see the importance of them in our coming study next time. But we've been looking very carefully at at this particular heart of Paul. And so, as we do every Sunday, we like to read this section together. It's Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 27. And if you're able to stand, please stand with me and, and let's read it together. By the way, next week, now that things are settling down here, we're going to get back to our uh, scripture memorization. But uh, that'll be next week, not this week. Acts 20, verses 25 through 27. Let's read together. Let's read aloud, beginning with verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Shall we pray? Father, we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray, Father, that you will make clear to our hearts the seriousness of the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the word of God. For we know, Lord, that as we see in the heart of the Apostle Paul, that necessity to declare how faithful he has been. And in that, Lord God, it it sometimes makes us realize that we have struggled with our our own unfaithfulness in the message that you've given us, Lord, to proclaim. We desire, Father, that from this we will desire even more to fulfill that which you have called us to fulfill, to accomplish, Lord, the will that you have placed in each and every one of your children in regards to the teaching and the preaching of your word. And we pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you will stir in us the gifts that you've already given we, Lord God, may be faithful until the day of Christ to proclaim them. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. There are often times that a person in ministry is required to wear a number of hats to fulfill their primary purpose 
in the ministry the Lord has called them to accomplish as they look and wait for the coming of the Lord. As Paul gives testimony of his present ministry to the Ephesian elders during their fellowship in Miletus, he describes to them the various hats that he wears as he prepares to bid them farewell. Back in verse 24, he wore the hat, and by the way, in that particular verse we see him wear many hats, but he begins by showing us that he wore the hat of an accountant, one who had scrutinized his assets and liabilities and chose to put the Lord Jesus Christ above everything else in his life. There again in verse 24 we read, But none of these things move me. Paul referring to the fact that as he seeks to go to Jerusalem and as he has been to all the churches, inevitably there would be a continual prophetic word to Paul that in arriving in Jerusalem he would face trials. And he didn't know what kind of trials he would face, but he knew that there would be something awaiting him in Jerusalem. And yet he says, but none of these things move me. And he says, nor do I count my life dear to myself. And the word count there is actually an accounting term. Again, to assess or scrutinize his assets and his liabilities. He says, I, count, I, I do not count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. All of the underlying passages here are to remind us of the hats that Paul wears. And I'll explain in just a moment. So none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, the hat of an accountant, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So in that same very verse, uh, verse 24, he then wore not only the hat of an accountant as he scrutinizes and assesses his assets and liabilities concerning his relationship to Jesus Christ and his service to the Lord. He then wears the hat of an, of an athlete, specifically a runner, who desired to finish his race in triumphant joy. The third hat that Paul wore was that of a steward. And as oftentimes we've talked about stewardship, we need to remember that a steward is, is really a manager of that which is lent to him. All of us are to be stewards of the things that God gives us, the things that God uh, lays before us to, to, to manage and to care for, because it all be, truly belongs to him. So with that in mind, that hat that Paul wore was that of a steward in that he received his ministry from the Lord. Let's see that uh, verse again, verse uh, 24. So that uh, everybody can see, you know, the, as a steward he received that ministry from the Lord to whom his sole purpose was to serve his master and to please him. Now as a steward, and we need to understand this, that as a steward he owned little or nothing. Yet he possessed all things. And that is the same way with us. We own little or nothing, but in reality, we possess everything because of the one we serve. And the one who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The one who gives us everything that we need for life and godliness 
in Christ Jesus. But Paul was a steward and a good steward of the things that he had received from the Lord. And then likewise, Paul wore the hat of a witness. For we are told at the very end of the verse that he testified to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul wore the hat of a witness testifying of the gospel, the good news of the grace, of the undeserved favor of God. So the word testify here in the Greek means to solemnly give witness. And I want to mention that because I want to emphasize the word solemnly here. The word testify means to solemnly give witness, which should remind us of the seriousness of the message and of the ministry that is given to each and every one of us. And as we enter now into verse 25, the apostle reveals another hat that he wore in the ministry. And that was the hat of a herald. A herald. H-E-R-A-L-D. One who proclaims and declares for a king or a sovereign what the sovereign wants him to declare. And that is what a herald does. And in Acts 20 verse 25, Paul says, And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching, and that is the, the key word here, preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. But as a herald, he proclaims, he preaches the kingdom of God. Now, the witness, and we are all to be a witness of Jesus Christ, the witness may tell what has taken place in his life. There are times when someone may ask us of our testimony. What is your testimony in Christ? We might be able to give that testimony to individuals or we may uh, give that to groups of people as, as we're asked. What is your testimony? What has God brought you through? So as a witness, we may tell what has taken place in our lives. But the herald proclaims what the king tells him to declare. And this, and this is certainly a, a very uh, distinct Mission and, and, and a distinct purpose to declare or to proclaim what the king or the sovereign tells us to declare. So the herald was a man or a woman who was commissioned and sent with a message. In particular, the apostle Paul was a man commissioned and sent with a message. And the herald is not to change that message in any way, shape, or form. So the Apostle Paul, as we see the heart of the Apostle here in this passage, is one who is not wanting to deal in, in any kind of, sh- of change of, or, of message. Throughout all of his ministry, Paul stayed focused on that mission, on that message. Because as a herald, you do not change what the king tells you to declare. That is, the full counsel of God's word. And because the herald was sent by the king, those who would listen had better listen carefully as to how they were to treat both the message and the messenger. Because if the message is not going to change, then the, mess- then the messenger has to uh, you know, be spot on in what he's going to say. And if that's the case, then those listening are going to have to be responsible for what they hear. So think about the prophets for a moment. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Jeremiah. And of course, as we've been studying of late, Jeremiah has gone to preach 
the message that uh, God is bringing judgment upon the people because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion against Him. And, 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 and judgment is now knocking at the door. But every time it seems that Jeremiah speaks, someone is angry at him. As a matter of fact, we'll see that eventually they're going to throw Jeremiah into prison. We look at the apostles as they preach the, the gospel of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. And as they go out after, after Pentecost and begin to preach the gospel, all we see them running into is opposition. And down through the ages, when the gospel is preached, there are those who raise up their heads to say, I, I, I don't want to hear that. But because they've heard it, they become responsible for what they hear because the message does not change. The problem in our day and time is that too many people have tried to change the message of the gospel to make it palatable to the hearts and ears of people because they have itching ears. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But that's part of the problem. That's one of the reasons why all of a sudden we see so many different kinds of denominations or so many different kinds of so-called Christian sects with one idea or another that they've tried to change to make it seem to be a little easier to receive rather than just to receive God's Word for what it is. Paul was a herald. He proclaimed the message of Christ and the message of the kingdom of God even to his own death, which we know eventually would come. The apostles all did the same. But combining verses 24 and 25 with verse 21, as we'll do in just a moment, we get a great picture then of the fullness of Paul's message and his passion to proclaim it in Christ's name. So you add verse 21 that we studied earlier, testifying, here Paul saying, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Then if you add verses 24 and 25, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify, you see, to the gospel of the grace of Christ, or the grace of God. And then you add verse 25, and now, uh, indeed, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. So we see somewhat of the fullness of the message that the Apostle Paul is preaching, to testify uh, uh, to Jews and Greeks repentance toward God. In other words, not specifically to any any group, but to all people, Jews and, and Gentiles. Repentance toward God, faith toward Christ. Preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel of the grace of God. But folks, it just wasn't all about the messenger and the message. It wasn't just all about the messenger and the message. As important as that has been, and we try to make that very clear, about the mission of Paul to preach the gospel, to tell others about Jesus so that they would go forth and preach the gospel. It isn't just about that here. Because now again, we open up the heart of Paul and we begin to see an even deeper, deeper thing. There was a lot of Paul's heart still breaking over his friends from Ephesus. And his having to determine that this may very well be the last time that they see him and he sees them face to face. Think for a moment about the last, about of someone that you love or somebody, someone you know and care for dearly. To think that you have seen their face one last time. Or that you know that you're only going to see them one more time and you'll never see them again. It's a tremendous breaking of the heart. There's a, there's a, there's a tremendous personal 
pain that's involved in that. Paul, having spent over three years with these people, Paul, every day, spending time with them, telling them about Jesus, loving them in Christ, getting them to see the importance of, of knowing the Word of God clearly and unmistakably, and living and showing them the love of Christ through his life, receiving from them the blessings of their love of Christ in their life. And then to be able to say to them, as, as he's doing in this passage, uh, I've come to realize this may be the last time that I will see you. Because even if he survived the present visit to Jerusalem that, that he was sure intent on taking, he never expected to be back in Asia Minor. He never expected to see them again. His mind and his heart were on the, on the untold millions of people in far off places, as he's expressed already. I want to go to Jerusalem, but then I want to go to Rome, and then I want to go to Spain, and I want to go even beyond that, wherever it is that God wants me to go. Because Paul was in his heart, clear in his mind and heart, that his mission was to go to all the world and preach the gospel. And this is what he wanted to do. But there was that touch of pain. There was that emotion in his love for these people. David Thomas, in his expositional commentary on the book of Acts, he wrote a statement that, that awakened my own senses as a pastor and as a teacher. And I want to share this with you because I want you to understand this, this heart. David Thomas writes, Every Sunday, there are ministers who preach their last sermons to the people, who ascend their pulpits, announce their text for the last time, but they do not know it. If they knew it, how overwhelmed they would be with a sense of their responsibility. They would feel, first, it is the last time, and we must correct any wrong impressions that we may have made upon these people. Secondly, it is the last time, and we must bring forward every vital truth that may have been too much overlooked. Thirdly, it is the last time. And we must use every argument in our power to effect the conversion of souls. And then he would later say, Ought we not ever to preach as dying men to dying men? Ought we not ever to preach as dying men to dying men? And it brings to mind and to heart the fact that every time the Word of God is preached from this pulpit, that it could be the last time. I don't want to leave anything out that God wants you to hear as if it were the last time. Now, if we were only called to entertain 
If it was just a matter of trying to make you feel good today. If it were only a matter of us entertaining you, then I must say that the only incentive that I would have then is to present something even better the next time because that's the nature of the entertainment beast. If all it was that I was going to, you know, to, to, to try to keep you here by some sense of, of display so that, you know, you would say, oh, that was great, but I wonder what's going to come next week. And I can tell you this, folks, you, you better not expect it here because I don't know how to dance. I mean, I might, uh, I might think that, you know, I've got something to show you that, that, that might keep you here. Oh, we had fun in church today. Well, I want you to, you know, I want you to know that we had a joyous time of worship the Lord, worshiping the Lord today. But if I need to, you know, I'll bring out a table and I'll bring the poles and the, the you know, the, 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 the plates and I'll spin some plates and then I'll, you know, I'll juggle, you know, bowling pins if you want or whatever it is. That we're not here to entertain you. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach you the word of God. So as pastors, our motivation must be that this could be the last time we see each other. It's now or never. And that is why the word of God is to be precious to us. That is why we hold it dear to our hearts. That is why we proclaim it in the fear of the Lord. And that is very important for us to know. That the Word of God is going to be proclaimed in the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 through 14. Listen to this passage. It says, And now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Or what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and notice, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good. Notice verse 14. Indeed, heaven... And the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. But, but, but the very con- connection of the fear of the Lord with the, with the teaching of the Word of God. To make it even more clear, we look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And Solomon, speaking to his son, and speaking to each and every one of us here, says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding... Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I don't want to preach the Word of God to you outside of the fear of God, outside of that reverential awe and respect and worship that we are to give the Lord. That's why the Word of God is precious to me to give to you. And then in verse 5, he says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So now, this confident declaration by Paul, here in verse 25, adds greater weight and seriousness to the words that follow. 
And so as Paul is saying what he's saying in verse 25, I'm sure that his listeners were even more attentive. See, again, think about this, he says. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Wouldn't that perk you up? Wouldn't that get you to focus on what the Lord is saying through Paul? And then he says, therefore, verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul now displays the most dramatic and the most powerful hat that he wore in fulfilling his ministry before the Lord. And that hat was that of a watchman. A watchman. This was a testimony of a clear and pure heart who had not taken his ease in Zion. Paul remembered, I'm sure, that great prophecy in Amos chapter 6. It was an, it was a, uh, an ominous prophecy. It was an ominous call to judgment. Where the prophet says, through the, where the Lord says to the prophet, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. Paul was not at ease in Zion. And as we see in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, where Paul, where it says, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, for now I will go to the Gentiles. I am clean. I've been a watchman. I've done what a watchman is supposed to do. And I'm clean. But, the, but your blood is now on your heads. You have not listened. And all of this was a reference to the watchman on the walls on, uh, in, in the, in the uh, prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Where it says here, and this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. And therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked... You shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. And yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. And again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. That was a tremendous responsibility for a watchman, especially a watchman of the Lord. Not so much just a watchman of a wall, but a watchman for the Lord. Let 
And, and, I, and, I need to, and I need to say that, you know, some people might say, well, that was just for the Old Testament, that was for Israel. Folks, Paul uses the same language in the New Testament. And we need to be conscious of that. We don't put aside some part of God's Word because we say it was just for Israel. Many times we look and see in the Old Testament that what we, we learn spiritually there can be applied today, after the cross. Because the preaching of the gospel has to go on until Jesus comes. The Word of God needs to be taught to the church before Jesus comes. All of these things need to be done so we don't take anything as casual when it comes to that. So it was and it still is a serious calling to be a watchman. A watchman had to stay awake and stay alert. A watchman had to be ready to sound the alarm if he saw danger approaching. I think most of you would realize that that's what we've been doing every time I say we live in dangerous times. Every time I point out to the fact that there are prophecies that are pointing to the days in which we live, those prophecies are being fulfilled today. We live in perilous times. And we need to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A watchman had to be faithful and not fearful because the safety of many people rested with him. Paul had been a faithful watchman in all of his time in the ministry because he declared to saints and to sinners alike all the counsel of God's Word. He did not hold back anything that would be profitable to them. Sadly, today there is an unfaithful undercurrent in the church, unfaithful watchmen who think only of themselves, think only of their gain. And Isaiah's prophecy describes them very clearly. I want you to turn to Isaiah 56. Because in Isaiah 56, verses 10 through 12, Isaiah, in effect, is not only speaking of certain uh, watchmen in his time who are not caring for the people but only caring for themselves, And that very same idea and thought can be carried into the days and times in which we live. Isaiah 56, verse 10. His watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. This is strong language, isn't it? But notice what he says. His watchmen are are blind. They're all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they're greedy dogs, which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. Shepherds who cannot understand. Stop there for just a moment and think about this. A shepherd needs to understand. Needs to understand the sheep. Needs to understand what is going to help the sheep get through and get by. A good pastor friend of mine once told a story about 
having gone to a ministerial uh, prayer meeting on an early Sunday morning, uh, gathering together with other pastors from the little town in which he lives. And uh, they would pray together before they go off to their churches, have a little coffee together and share burdens for prayer. One day he goes to this meeting and he sees a pastor friend of his in a corner uh, away from everyone else flipping madly through his Bible. And as he arrives a little closer to him and as he comes closer to him he notices that he's going through the concordance of his Bible, the back part. Has all the words uh, that are in the scriptures that you may want to look up a certain word. And he says, how you doing? Are you all right? He says, well, he says, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get a message together for today. Oh, Sunday morning. Hadn't, hadn't prayed, hadn't studied, hadn't read, trying to get a message an hour before church starts. And it brings to mind this verse, they are shippers who cannot understand. How sad that is. How sad for those sheep. I used to hear the stories of churches, you know, they, they, they really excelled in their worship. They would worship for an hour on end, you know. And when that time was starting to come, the, the pastor could get up. Maybe this is something you've seen or experienced. They get up, you know, this was just a, so it's a wonderful time. We're going to worship a little bit more. Uh, we've had church already. Uh, let's go home. We, we've just been blessed. Just, and never once was the word of God spoken or preached. If I had been in that service that day, I'd have said, that guy didn't prepare. He used the wonderful worship to say, oh, this was a wonderful time. Let's go home now. We're here to hear God's Word. But there are shepherds who cannot understand. But notice the next phrase. They all look to their own way. Not for the sheep, but to themselves. Everyone for his own gain, from his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. Interesting words chosen. There are people in pulpits across our land as well as in other countries who do not believe in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And yet they are in those positions leading many people astray with their heretical teachings, even today. Some of those uh, so-called Christians teaching that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis is either fable or fantasy. Calling God a liar, in effect. There are others who are teaching that God either used evolution to create or evolution to create God. Or that evolution created God. There are those today who have spent many years in seminary. They probably went into seminary with a good heart, coming out with a terribly perverse mind. 
That's why I always call seminary cemetery. Not all seminaries are that way, by the way. But nonetheless, many who come out of seminaries with doctoral degrees preach that there is no heaven, that there is no hell, that there is no virgin birth, no resurrection from the dead. And listen, we could go on and on, etc. that nauseam, okay? But all the fundamentals of the faith are questionable. But not here. From Genesis to Revelation, I believe every word that this says. And this is how we will teach it. And this is what we stand on. Warren Wiersbe shares this story. I want, this is a tremendous little story. A group of servicemen, military people, a group of servicemen asked their new chaplain if he believed in a real hell for lost sinners. And he smiled and told them that he did not. And the men replied to this chaplain, they said, then you are wasting your time. If there is no hell, we don't need you. And if there is a hell, you're leading us astray. Either way, we're better off without you. What a powerful statement. If there is no hell, as you say, then we don't need you. But if there is a hell, you're leading us astray. This is why Paul himself could say what he says in verse 26. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And he tells you why in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul kept nothing back that was profitable from his people. Paul kept back nothing that was going to bless them and prosper them spiritually. In ministering the truth, Paul did not, uh, did not study what was agreeable to their prejudice or prejudices. Whether it was pleasantly palatable or popular. But he fearlessly proclaimed what was essential to their salvation. If there was blood, therefore, anywhere, it was not on him. Paul was clean. The implication in all of this is that those elders must follow Paul's example of preaching a complete gospel of God's redemption of sinners or face God's chastisement. And folks, this is true of all pastors. And it's true for all pastors and for all teachers today in the ministry. We are, to com- we are to preach a complete gospel. We are to teach the complete Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. Verse by verse. Chapter by chapter. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. I want you to consider the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Colossians. And he says to them in the first chapter, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from which God, or from God, which was given to me for you. Notice, very similar to what he says to the Ephesian elders. 
about his stewardship. And he received his ministry from the Lord. Here he says, uh, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. To fulfill means to complete, to accomplish, to do completely the word of God. And notice verse 26, the mystery, the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. The fact of the matter is that today, because we have all of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, nothing any longer is hidden from us. There's a, there's a great little statement here, you know, that we've often said. The new, speaking of the New Testament or, uh, and the ideals of the New Testament, the new is in the old, concealed. The old is in the new, revealed. The new is in the old, concealed. Everything that was a mystery to everyone in, you know, in Israel and all was there is still in the Word in the Old Testament, but it was concealed. But the old is in the new today, revealed. It's open. Everything can be understood. So with that in mind, Paul says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Notice what it is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Seven words. The mystery that has now been revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 28 he says, Him we preach. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Him we preach. Notice the next word. Warning. Every man. Warning every man and teaching. Now, notice, preaching and teaching. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching, teaching the word of God. The full counsel, the whole counsel of God's word. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be perfect in Christ Jesus? The word perfect there literally means to be complete. To be complete in Christ. You have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are to be complete in Christ. He who began this good work in you is able to complete it until the day of Christ. That's God in you. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete, fulfilled in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor. And I want you to notice what he's saying. To this end, that's my goal. I labor for this. Until my last breath I labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. So Paul knew that it wasn't his flesh that he depended upon to preach the gospel. He depended upon Christ in him and the Holy Spirit in him to accomplish his work that works in Paul. 
And that was to the church, a tremendous message to the church. But lastly, I want you to consider Paul's word to Timothy. Because every time we go to a letter by Paul to Timothy, we find an even greater personal expression. An even more intimate expression of Paul's love and heart for his son in the faith. Timothy as well was a young pastor and had been the pastor in the church in Ephesus. When Paul pens this second letter, we know that that was the last letter that he wrote. And he writes it to his son in the faith, Timothy. Because Timothy was struggling in the ministry. Timothy was becoming weary in the ministry. And as we touched upon a little bit last time, that happens. The world, the flesh, the devil does everything it can to discourage us from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. All types of hindrances and roadblocks seem to fall in front of us. But we have to be like Paul who said, I, uh, these things don't move me. I have to stay on course with Christ. I have to stay on course for the church. Remember that Paul had said to the Corinthian church, I've had all of these things happen to me. Beatings and stonings and perils from all sides and uh, you know, hungerings and, and he says, oh, and the most important thing, my concern for the churches. He was more concerned about the church than he was about his own needs. That's why he says, nor do I count it. Nor do I count myself or my life dear to myself. And Paul says to, to Timothy at, at a point in his ministry where he's fearful about things. He says to him there in the first chapter of this letter, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Toward the end of this letter, Paul now speaks strongly to Timothy. And he says to him, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, I charge you. That's a strong word. That's a strong commissioning word. I am commissioning you. This is, this is military, folks. In a sense. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. 
the first thing he gives in the charge is preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I love the King James Version that says be instant in season and out of season. Be instant at a moment's notice. Be ready to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be ready to preach the word of God. Convince or convict. Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And he says, check your heart. When you do these things, when you bring conviction, when you bring rebuke, when you bring exhortation, do it with all long-suffering. Do it with all sense of enduring patience as we who are Christians and believers in Jesus Christ have been taught by Him to be patient. Do it with all patience, long-suffering, and teaching. There it is again. Paul does not like to separate preaching from teaching. It is my concern to come to this pulpit, if necessary, to preach the gospel of the the kingdom of God to those who have never heard the gospel, but to not forsake those who need to hear the teaching of God's word. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching... For the time will come, and may I say, the time has come. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine. There are some people laugh at us today because we teach from this passage here. Or we teach about you know, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we teach prophetic themes that Jesus is coming soon so how, what are we doing to get ready for that You know, people laugh at us people discourage others from coming here because they say you know all they do is teach the, teach, teach the Bible there again I don't know how to dance but I will teach you God's word People criticize because they say, all you do is judge. I don't judge. The Word of God is the mirror. If your life went up against the Word of God, receives that message, then deal with it. But it's God's Word, not me. Remember, the message in the messenger? If we proclaim the whole counsel of God... If I don't do that, then the blood's on my hands. If I do it and you don't listen, the blood is on your head. That's simply Ezekiel and Paul. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, their own desires, their desires to do things that the Word of God would say is sin. They have itching ears, so they'll go where they feel comfortable, blessed. I tell you what, if God's word goes forth, 
It convicts you of sin. You lay that sin before the cross. You realize that at the cross, Jesus forgave you of that sin. Then you rejoice. There's no greater greater joy than that. Because we we should be a people rejoicing in the love, mercy, grace, and truth of Jesus Christ. Thankful for the fact that He died for our sins. Thankful for the fact that He shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Thankful for the fact that even though He died on the cross, He was buried, but on the third day He rose again from the dead. Thankful for that. People want to heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And be turned aside to fables. The fables of the false prophets. Who say everything's going to be cool. You're going to be as bad as the Christians say. Just as it was during the times of the prophets when they would preach the word of God. And the people say, we have our own prophets. And they say we're at peace. And the Lord says, yeah, but judgment's knocking at your door. But verse 5 says, but you be watchful in all things. What has he just done? He has commissioned Timothy and us to be watchmen. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Afflictions will either move you or cause you to say, I will not be moved. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell them the good news of what Christ has done. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill it. Complete it. Accomplish it. It doesn't get accomplished if we only sit. It gets accomplished because we put feet to our faith. Fulfill your ministry. I want to close this study this morning with the words of Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 19th century who was so committed to God's Word. And it gives to us the sense of what Paul was saying about the whole counsel of God. Charles Spurgeon writes, That man does not preach the whole counsel of God who does not let God's Word speak for itself in its own pure, simple language. He will not shirk the truth. He will dare to look at it straight in the face himself. And then he will bring it up into the pulpit and there say to it, O word, speak for thyself and be thou heard alone. Suffer me not, O Lord, to pervert or misinterpret thine own heaven-sent truth. Our desire is that God's word speaks for itself. So the messenger is not the judge. In fact, if you choose not to abide by the word of God, then you become your own judge. You've judged yourself. Paul says, I have not shunned. 
to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I pray that we see even more clearly the heart of the Apostle to his faithfulness in keeping God's Word. Let that be the pattern and the example of our own lives as believers in Jesus Christ because we live in those days and times. Shall we pray?